I'll be focusing the sermon this morning on our gospel reading, and I'll be taking you through the passage, so uh, if you want to go ahead and open up your uh, pew Bibles to say page 43, I'll be, I'll be along pretty soon. I'll be speaking to you about the miracle titled in your pew Bible as the healing of a deaf man. As we see, that might be a bit problematic way to put it, but we'll get to that. It's a passage which is special to me. When I was growing up, a, a deaf couple was important in shaping my life. Um, they would take care of me when I was like 10, 11, 12, and too young to be left alone for a long time. They were an influential couple in my life, Willard and Sophie Stickney. They were both very old when I knew them. Of course, they both wanted to be with the Lord decades ago now. Um, Willard had, had, was born with the ability to hear. Something happened in his family, I don't know what. Either he was orphaned or kicked out of the house or whatever. Ended up on the streets when he was about seven, eight years old. He found a job doing odd, odd work around a carpentry shop. And he lived in, in the carpentry shop and had became his trade. When he was 10 or 12 years old, he had done something wrong in the shop. And the shop owner clubbed his ears like that, burst his eardrums and lost the ability to hear. He could speak, but he spoke with a speech impediment because he remembered how to speak, but because he could not hear himself speak over time, he had lost the ability to speak very clearly. If you notice the man in our story is in the same condition, so he may have been born with the ability to hear, then have lost it, I don't know. Sophie came from a, a, a fairly well-off family, I picked up, she'd gone to deaf school and uh, was very fluent. Those who knew better knew than I did, uh, noted that, that Willard was very rough in his sign, and she was very smooth and polished because she, had, she was born deaf, and she had gone to deaf school her whole life and spent signing. Well, I want to get to that, to that story. But first I want to give you the setting in the Gospel of Mark here. By now, I hope most of you know the three most important things in Bible study, but we've gotten new people, so there may be people who don't know yet. The three most important things in Bible study, what are they? Location, location, location. Same as real estate. See, it's easy to remember. First is the location and time. When is this story happening? Is it happening during the time of the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, is David King? Is it after Moses, before Moses? Now, that's pretty easy to figure out. Okay? But it's important to keep in mind what time is the story you're reading coming from. And then the location and culture. What are the laws and the food customs and the business customs and clothing and all those things to add insights into the story that we're reading? And of course, you can spend a lifetime learning more and more and more about those things. But the key location, and the one that's the easiest to know, is the location in Scripture. What comes before and what comes after. One of the drawbacks of our, of our lectionary readings is that when we gather on Sundays, we tend to get a paragraph at a time of the story, and oftentimes we don't see the connections between the different paragraphs. So I'd like if you would take your pew Bible and turn with me back at Mark chapter 5, that happens to be on page 840 in your pew Bible. Mark chapter 5, the first verse. They, this is Jesus and the disciples, in a boat. Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, this is the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, as a side note for now, I want you to remember that word Gerasenes. It's going to come up a little bit later, okay? The Gerasenes. 
Jesus is going to heal a man who is oppressed and possessed by evil spirits, by demonic forces, by personal forces of evil. And as you scan down the passage, you may recognize it. The man is a demon-possessed man. He lives in the graveyard among the tombs. They try to tie him up so he won't hurt himself or other people, but he can break through the chains with this, with this demonic strength that he's given, and Jesus will heal him. As you scan down the passage, you may recognize the story. Yes, the story with the kids. Jesus asks the man, who, who are you? The demonic forces. My name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus casts the... The, the demons into the pigs who run off the cliff. Two months ago, Christianity Today's magazine comes out once a, once a month, um, had a reading on this passage. And the man says that in 40 years of pastoral ministry, the three most asked questions he's been given were, what happens when you die? Can you lose your salvation? And what's the deal with the pigs? Well, a common question is, why are these Jewish people even having pigs? Why do they have pigs? Why are they taking care of pigs? Pigs aren't kosher. Why are they even having pigs? Well, these aren't Jewish people. They're Gentiles. Jesus is going into a Gentile area. The Gerasenes are, are Gentiles. And I'd like you to notice what happens after the, the, the pig still part of the story. In verse 14, the herdsmen who are tending the pigs fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in, in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And note verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Three points here. First, after this incident, the people begged him to leave. And notice what Jesus does, he leaves. He gets in the boat and he leaves. The man wants to come with him. He says, Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no, you stay here, go home. Tell your friends, tell your family what I've done for you. And the man begins to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Decapolis, I'm gonna ask you to remember that name too. That's a short term now, it's not gonna be on the final exam. But uh, that, that word Decapolis is gonna come up in a few minutes too. Literally in Greek, that word means 10 cities, but that's just the name of the place. There are actually about 18 cities in this, in this region. It's just the name of the place. Some people get worked up over 10 cities, which of the 10 or which of the 18 are real 10. It's like the city of Philadelphia. Literally means the city of brotherly love. But you might say, well, I've been to Philadelphia and I didn't see an awful lot of brotherly love. Well, it's just the place name. Just the name of the place. But it's an important place. Today, it's in southern Syria and northern Jordan. There's about 18 towns, like I said, who are Greek, there are Greek colonies, trade colonies in this part of, of the Middle East. They were recognized as free cities by the Romans. That means that they paid tribute to Rome, that they were allowed to run their own political system. They had their own laws, they could mint their own money, they, they pretty much ran their own lives, and almost as a protector of the Roman Empire. So they have a kind of special legal status. 
So that explains the pigs, because the Gentile area, these are Greek people, Greek colonists, living here in what today we call southern Syria and northern Jordan. Well, anyway, they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So Jesus leaves. Well, where does he go? Now we'll go to verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. So now we're back in Jewish territory, so to speak. Okay? Now we're back in Galilee. We've crossed the sea again. All kinds of exciting stuff happens. We have to move on. Jesus leaves Galilee, he goes to yet another Gentile area. Now he's going to go over to where Lebanon is today. In, uh, and, and, um, in chapter 6, verse 53. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to ask if I've lost you. Forget I said in Lebanon yet. Okay. Now back to Galilee. Now he crosses the Sea of Galilee again. Chapter 6, verse 53. When they crossed over the Sea of Galilee again, they came to land at Gennesaret. Remember I asked you to remember the Gennesaretes? Those are the people who live in Gennesaret. So he's back in the same place where he had driven the demons out of the demon-possessed man. Are you with me? Are you with me still? It helps if you like this. Or like this. Okay. So you're, you're kind of with me, you're, you're, you're with me. Um, when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. So he's gone back to the exact same place where he had driven the demons out of the man into the pig. And watch what happens. When they, the disciples, got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. What a difference. Just maybe a week and a half earlier, the people were afraid of Jesus. They told him to leave. They begged him to leave. And Jesus leaves. He comes back a week and a half later. The people welcome him. They recognize him. They go and grab all the sick people they can for Jesus to heal. What an incredible difference. In what, a week and a half? And why the change? That man who was released from the power of the demons, what did Jesus tell him to do? Go home and tell people what I've done for you. And what do you think the man did? He went home and he started telling people what Jesus had done for him and within a week and a half, Everybody in the countryside is excited that Jesus has come back. They go out, they bring all their sick friends to Jesus. And he heals many of them. That one man made a difference in a week and a half. Going around, telling people what Jesus had done for them. Well, Jesus leaves again. Now he goes over where Lebanon is today. All kinds of exciting stuff happens there. Okay. Um, but then, notice something. Jesus leaves Lebanon, and where does he go? Now, if we go to chapter 7, verse 31. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, that's Lebanon, where Lebanon is today, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, we're back to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. 
So now Jesus is back into the couples. To summarize, he's been here once. He healed a man. He left. He came back. He left again. Now he's back again. The first time he helped out one man and was chased out. Then he was welcomed back and he healed many people. And then he left. But now he's back again. And it's almost like he came back to find one man. A deaf man. And that brings us to our gospel reading for today. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. When I looked ahead in the lectionary and saw that this gospel reading was going to be assigned to us, I sent an email to Bob Ayers. You probably know Bob and Kathy Ayers by now. They've been a part of our parish for a long time. They've devoted their professional lives to the deaf ministry. And um, so I sent an email to Bob and I said, I'm preaching on Mark chapter 7. Do you have any insights or advice uh, that you could give me to guide the way that I think on the passage? And he sent me two extracts from his forthcoming book on the subject. He sent me links to a, a sermon. I'll make reference to that sermon in a few minutes. And he sent me his own email full of thoughts. He got that long printed out. Size six font. He's <laughs> going to look at. And I went through all of this and I said, Bob, what are we doing here? Why don't you preach on this subject? And he says, well, I'm doing a deaf ministry thing in St. Petersburg that weekend. So he couldn't step in and take my place here. But I just want to, to say that an awful lot of what I'm drawing on here comes out of the links and information that, that Bob sent to me. Well, that, that brings us to our passage here. Mark 7, verse 31. It's a well-loved and much-told story. And deaf Christians love this story. Ephatha, that's the Aramaic word that Jesus says, be open. That word Ephatha is the name of several deaf ministries. If you go to Google and just Google Ephatha, it's going to show you deaf ministries all over the world. At least one church calls itself Ephatha Lutheran Church of the Deaf. In fact, that's the name of the church pastored by Reverend Prentiss Marsh, whose sermon on this text, Bobby Ayers, is a link to it. Pastor Marsh, who's Lutheran pastor of this deaf church, says in his sermon, this is a direct quote, hearing people like this story. Hearing people like this story because Jesus made the man able to hear clearly and speak clearly. The Pastor Marsh goes on to explain that, that he writes that deaf people have a different reason for liking the story. Deaf people like this story because a deaf person met Jesus. The deaf man had friends but he needed more than friends. He needed Jesus. Jesus treated the deaf man with respect and took him away from the crowd. Jesus gave personal attention to the deaf man. Jesus used physical gestures and motions to communicate with him. Jesus used sign language to communicate with the deaf man. And these are Pastor Marsh's words directly from the sermon. It doesn't matter that his deaf ears can hear and his deaf mouth can speak. What matters is that man and Jesus. It doesn't matter that his deaf ears can hear and his deaf mouth can speak. What matters is that man and Jesus. And Pastor Marsh goes on to say that this deaf man represents all of us, hearing or deaf. We all need to meet Jesus individually. We need to be loved by him and we need him to open our hearts and minds to receive his message for us. The big point of the story to deaf Christians is not that a deaf man is now able to hear. The big point of the story is that a man has met Jesus. 
And I'm thankful to Bob for helping me understand why this is a big deal for so many deaf Christians. Bob gave me some insights into the deaf world, that's what he calls deaf culture. But he calls that other people call that too. But deaf people have a unique culture. They share a common language, they have common experiences that hearing people don't have. They have little parts of their culture that hearing people may not even have ever thought about. They have different patterns of when it's polite to interrupt someone in the middle of sight. They have all kinds of different things that, that make them have a unique culture. And what surprises many hearing people is that most people in deaf world have no desire to hear. They live lives that are full of meaning. They don't picture themselves as sick people who need to be cured. They live their lives just fine. And many of them have had negative experiences of meeting Christians who immediately started praying for them to be healed or telling them they must have some kind of unconfessed sin in their life. And they have a really negative reaction to meeting someone for the first time and tell them that they're broken and they don't work right when their lives are fine and they have no desire to hear. Even worse is when they've been ignored by Christians. And this goes way back in church history, where Christians, where the church has had a difficult time dealing with deaf people. Because after all, doesn't the Bible say faith cometh by what? Faith cometh by hearing. To receive Christ, you must believe in your heart and do not what? Confess with your mouth. What does that mean in relationship to deaf neighbors? Too often the early churches have seen the gospel isn't for them. If they can't hear, they can't have faith. And if they can't speak, they can't confess. What's ironic here is that Augustine, and St. Augustine, who was mentioned last week, the Bishop of Hippo, in one place writing about, about sins that may be caused by, uh, the, the, or, sorry, illnesses that may be caused by the sin of the parents, he lists uh, deafness as one possibility. Even though in another piece of his writings, Augustine mentions meeting with deaf Christians who use sign language to tell other deaf people about Jesus. And he says, these are clearly brothers and sisters in Christ that the inability to hear is just an obstacle to overcome. That faith by hearing is not concrete and literal, but means an encounter with the word. And that in their sign language, they can come to Jesus. Where Augustine says that was forgotten in the church. And where Augustine said that deafness can be caused by the sense of appearance is remembered. And when you have that legacy to build on, you see why deaf Christians love this story. Because Jesus does not treat this man as a sick person who needs to be cured, or as someone who's beyond the reach of the gospel. But he treats him as an individual. And Jesus treats him with respect. And that is the part that deaf Christians latch onto in this story, that Jesus treats the man with respect. He leads him away from the crowd. So when like healing services I've seen on TV where people are brought up on stage in front of everybody, he takes the man away from the crowd and he communicates with him. First, how does he communicate with him? Notice what we so rarely see in the gospel accounts of Jesus healing people. An intense devotion to physical signs. 
Jesus puts a finger into the man's ear. He touches his tongue. He spits. He looks up into heaven. He sighs. And he says, be open to Father. And what is he communicating? In his own email to me, Bob is adamant that I make this point to you. That Jesus has not healed people who do not want to be healed. Now delivering some of the demon possession but in terms of healing, notice what Jesus does. Jesus never seems to heal anyone who does not want to heal. Think of all the time that Jesus asks someone who is at illness, what do you want me to do for you? Or do you want to be well? And from what I've read, it's almost unanimous in death world among Christians reading the story that Jesus has taken the man aside and is asking them, if he wants to be healed. And he's using sign language to ask, do you want to be healed? How rude it would be for hearing people who just walk up to a deaf person and assume they must want to hear. But Jesus takes him aside with respect, feels him as an individual, and asks, do you want to hear? Again, as I said earlier, it may surprise many hearing people have learned that most deaf people have no desire to hear. Because we've all seen YouTube's about cochlear implants and hearing aids and, and all of these things. So some people, yes, they do try them. Some people do. Some deaf people do try medical devices and technology, but most do not. It's just generally agreed in deaf world, this is up to the individual. And what deaf people love here is that Jesus doesn't grab the deaf man, back on the forehead and heal him. That he finds out if he wants to be able to hear, and then he does so through physical signs. I don't know if there was a standard sign language in Copulus that the deaf community used, or if Jesus used the man's sign that he had developed in his home or among his friends. I mean, Jesus is guided by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit can get the gift of tongue, Jesus can understand and immediately communicate with his man through sign language. And Bob makes the point that someone who was hearing, watching what Jesus was doing, would, would describe this sign language communicating. Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ear. He touches the man's tongue. He spits. What's up with that? I don't know. I don't know the sign language of the Catholics. But it meant something. He does it. Mark, Mark reports that the, the people watching from afar see what's happening. He looks up into heaven. They signify that the healing is going to come from God. And then he sighs. Because his job is over, he just says, be open to Father. And as Pastor Marshall put it, it doesn't matter that his deaf ears can hear, his deaf mouth can speak. What matters is that that man met Jesus. Jesus met the man in the crowd. He knew he came from a special culture with its own language. He takes him aside privately. He treats him with respect and dignity. And he made himself known to him. And in deaf worlds, so I'm told, that's the big point of the story. And in fact, it should be a big part of everyone's story. Everyone needs an individual encounter with Jesus. And in fact, Jesus can touch us through physical signs. In fact, we receive in faith, Jesus can do that today. I watched another sermon from another Lutheran deaf church on YouTube. I gotta tell you, the Lutherans are way ahead of Anglicans on this. They have 
at way active deaf ministry networks and deaf churches. And I started watching the YouTube, and uh, the preacher started preaching. And within about six seconds, I realized, oh, I've got to turn on the closed captions for this one. Because the preacher is signing without speaking, and so I had to turn on the closed captions so I could read the text of, of the sermon. How about that for a twister right but in his sermon, he was preaching, and he said, he said, everyone here today, whether you're deaf or whether you're hearing, whether you're deaf family, friend, members, or friends, everyone here can be touched physically by Jesus in our communion service. Jesus can touch you through those signs, the bread and the wine. That's an opportunity for Jesus first to touch you, and then to experience something else. Another thing I learned from Bob is that one big question among deaf Christians is that when Jesus returns, and in our resurrected bodies in the kingdom of heaven, will deaf people be able to hear? That's not a conversation for us to have. I said that's a conversation among deaf people. And they, there's a difference of opinion uh, of whether, whether, whether they will or not. But what everybody agrees on, and I'm sure we all will agree too, in the kingdom of heaven, when those passages descriptions are about every tribe and tongue, praising Jesus in every language of the world. Some people gathered there before the throne will be praising Jesus in their own heart language. They'll be signing their praises to Jesus because that's the language that speaks to their heart and that's the language through which Jesus has made himself real to them through which they've heard the gospel and been able to receive it. And in that communion service, we'll be able to begin to participate in that regathering of all the saints very early in the church, in the Eastern Christianity. Uh, in many liturgies, before the scriptures were read, Justin read the scriptures for us this morning, before the scriptures were read in the service, this reader would get up and say, Ephatha, and then begin the reading. Be opened, and begin the reading. Open your eyes, open your ears, open your hearts and your minds to receive what God has for you. And I encourage you to do that today. In Jesus' name.